think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 406 of Low Limit Football on this 12th of November, 2023. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, congratulations to Gotham FC for winning their first NWSL title in that game. Megan Rapino goes down with a lower leg injury in the third minute, ending a glorious career on a very sad note. Allie Krieger, however, closes her great career for club and country with an NWSL title. After match day four, teams that are through to the use, they Champions League knockout stages include Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Real Sociedad, Inter Milan, and Manchester City. And the stage is almost completely set for the conference semifinals of MLS Cup. We're going to discuss that and much, much more with our very special guest, Jason Longshore, the radio voice for Atlanta United from 92.9 The Game, and the host of Soccer Down Here, who will join us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? How are you, Joe? Here we are. It's finally Sunday. We're already halfway towards the month, heading towards Thanksgiving, which also means heading towards the end of the year. It's, it's hard to believe that around this time, Joe, we were preparing for the World Cup. Yeah. And, you know, now we're complaining, or at least, you know, we have been on the on this kind of like, um, yeah, I guess we, we were complaining on all this uh, issue about too many games happening. It's because we're seeing a bunch of injuries happening. I saw the, the Newcastle game. We had a couple injuries there just yesterday and this is totaling out what like nine ten players out so far with injury and now the discourse starts for for having too many games like nah dude we've been on this we've been on this chat for since last year man oh yeah last summer last summer we we started this because everything was kind of crammed in remember we started back in like early august um and then you know in england with the carabao cup and the and, and all that stuff we, we've been harping on that for a while and it's unfortunate they we're seeing so many injuries um, but we said it, we, we've been calling it for over a year and, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of money and greed that drives these leagues. And, and I think what you're going to see is, I think you're going to see this continue until they find a way to get these players proper rest. Um, even somebody like Lionel Messi, who, you know, who was breaking down, um, and he took a month off, 
right? Between leaving yeah. PSG and coming to the United States, he took almost a month off and still he ended up breaking down. Um, just a lot of matches, a lot of matches and a lot of stress in the body um, over 90 minutes and over the course of a year. So um, let's uh, let's let's jump into it. We've got a great show. We had Jason uh, join us a little earlier and had a great discussion on MLS Cup as he was up in Chile, Columbus, getting ready for game three between Atlanta and Columbus. Um, but let's open with a trivia question, my friend. And I have uh, I, hopefully a pretty decent one this time. So um, if you're ready, uh, we'll uh, give it to you. So it's going to be Champions League themed. And at 40 years old, Pepe of uh, of uh, Porto became the oldest goal scorer in Champions League history in a 2-0 win over Antwerp on Tuesday. Can you tell me, this is a three-part question, Whose record did he beat? How old was that player when he scored, when he set the record? And when did he do it? And against what team? Oh my God. Okay. Cause I, cause I, I think there was a lot to be made about who and how old he was. So that's why I threw the third part in. When did he do it? You know, what year? Um, and, uh, and who was, uh, who did he score the goal against? So. We'll- yeah, that's going to be difficult, but let's <laughs> give it a shot. All right. We'll give it to you at the end of the show. So. Uh, let's, let's get into opening thoughts and opening thoughts is going to be the champions league right now. Uh, as we go through match day four here, like you heard in the opening monologue, we currently have a bunch of teams qualified for the knockout stages. Bayern Munich are going to win group a, uh, they're perfect for, uh, you know, four for four. Uh, we'll talk, I think we're going to talk about Manchester United in that group in just a little bit. Um, we go down to group C where Real Madrid has qualified and, and Napoli are currently on the verge of it. Group D is already decided with Sociedad and Inter both advancing over Salzburg and Benfica. Uh, Benfica surprising, um, you know, four straight losses to start this uh, campaign and only one goal. And, uh, and then we scroll down to, uh, group G, which is also decided with Manchester City and RB Leipzig, uh, going through as well over Red Star Belgrade and Young Boys, um, in that one respectively. Um, Roberto, I, let's, let's, I guess let's go to Manchester United, right? I mean, that is going to be the 800 pound gorilla in the room that we need to talk about. Uh, one win over this entire Champions League campaign so far, three points currently behind Galatasaray. Um, only a one nil victory over FC Copenhagen, um, you know, gets them off, uh, off the zero point list, but, uh, but then they go and lose four, three to Copenhagen, you know, late. Uh, if I remember correctly, two goals this week in stoppage time to, to lose that match. Uh, you know, now they've got to face Galatasaray and I believe they have to go to Turkey on that one, um, coming up at the end of the month. And then they're going to get Bayern Munich who might, you know, for, for their sake might, not only are they already through and have won the group, but probably are just going to rest players. I would imagine. Um, they definitely probably don't want to see Harry Kane out there, who is absolutely on fire right now. Um, but Ten Hag is really in a bad, bad spot right now for you know European competition, uh, domestic competition. They are just not looking good right now. Um, I guess let's start with Ten Hag. Is his job safe in your opinion? As crazy as this sounds, yes, because I think at this point with where the league is, sorry, with the where the team is right now, and ultimately I think they're undergoing a lot of things um, from an administrative point of view, like if the Glazers are even going to stay put, if there's going to be new ownership from Sergeant Radcliffe or whatever, you know, Qatar or anything. So I, I think they want to keep that for the time being. Um you know, as crazy as it sounds, I think he would he's gonna have to stay put no matter what Manchester United do. And, you know, it's it's tough because I think ultimately 
you know, the Champions League is something that they strive on in terms of not just obviously trying to compete and do well, but also to go into it. So when you're in a position right now, and, and currently, you know, as we speak, they are sixth place in the Premier League. So they're not exactly out of contention for the Champions League, technically. Right. They're not. And, you know, with teams falling off like Tottenham and and we'll see what happens to Villa and Liverpool and all the other ones, that can make it easier. Um, Newcastle lost the other day as well, so that actually helps them a bit, uh, especially after they beat Luton. But the way that they're performing is not exactly right. someone that uh, is definitely positive to put into as a Manchester United boss. I think it's it's crazy because you look at how the group is right now. And, you know, you talk about Bayern Munich getting that kind of, that they're already qualified. It's actually weird, Joe, when you look at some of the games that they, not some, all of the games, they haven't really, it hasn't been that convincing. Like, it wasn't a full blowout. It's like, they got, like, looking at the score, 4-3, 2-1, 3-1, and 2-1. Mm. That last game, it all, all the goals came in the last 10 minutes. So, you know, again, as much as Bayern Munich have demonstrated their, their dominance in Champions League play, it hasn't been, like, convincing, convincing. Like, they haven't blown people away, which you know, allows me to feel suspect about their their capability of being contenders, which I think they are, but maybe not in the slight in like the highest amount. When we're looking at Manchester United, again, yeah, they have to go to Galatasaray, they gotta go to Istanbul. Tough tough place to play. And then they gotta host Bayern Munich. We don't know what kind of Bayern Munich side we're gonna get by that time. But yeah, I mean the, the at this point they need to win both games. Like that's not something that's uh that has to happen and at this point, they even have to rely on Bayern Munich, I'd say, because uh, as much as they um, they got that loss to Copenhagen, now they have to hope that Bayern Munich beat Copenhagen over there in Germany. So right. we have to see. But, I mean, I, I don't know, Joe. I like I want to believe in this team. I feel like they will do it at the end of the day for some odd reason. That This, this is such a weird side that they end up putting something away. But... Just looking at the performances, even yesterday, I don't know how much you saw the the game against Luton, and you know Luton are, are a decent side. Mm. At least they they fought out. They they're fighting out to not get relegated, and they're actually punching a big, a huge um, weight above their shoulders, and they're actually doing something that hopefully will allow them to not get relegated. But you know, only one nil, and then playing it at home is like. How can you have these type of performances and you think, yes, this Manchester United side is going to get something out of a way to Galatasaray and then having to beat Bayern Munich? Well, I, I think, you know, their I think their Champions League lives um, rem, you know, are on that Galatasaray match in Istanbul coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, Galatasaray wins that match. They get a result there. It's it's Europa League time for for um, United. Right. I mean. If they if they manage to win, they will qualify. They'll go through uh, either either way, and and Manchester United mathematically will be eliminated from Champions League. So this is, I think, their entire season rests on that Galatasaray. I mean, they've got to get to the Bayern game, but that Bayern game might not matter for both sides at the end of uh, the day because they might already be eliminated from the knockout stages. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's a tough road. Um, and it's kind of funny because you wonder what what the problem is. And I think right now the problem is actually def- defense. Um, Andre Onana has just not been the same Andre Onana we saw last year at Inter Milan. He's He's been awful. Um, 
you know, they've, they've been getting the goals. Rasmus Hoyland leads right now the Champions League uh, joint leader. And he's, with, and he's getting a lot of criticism as well. He's getting a lot of stick, and yet he's the one leading the way so far. And he scored more goals than Erling Holland. He scored more goals, goals than Harry Kane. He's, he scored more goals than everybody. Uh, the only guy that has even joined him is Alvaro Morata. Uh, so, you know, they're getting the production um, in the Champions League, it's just they're not defending well. They've given up 11 goals in four matches. It's just that's not going to that's not good enough to get you through to the knockout stages of, of any competition. Um, so that's that's a, that's a real challenge for them. Um, you know, a couple other things just kind of perusing through here. I mean, there's still some tight races. I, I think Group E with Atleti, Lazio and Feyenoord um, is a fantastic race. Uh, it really is a good one. You know, it's a good one. I remember back. When we spoke to Nivatavale previewing this team, that Lazio were going to have some trouble, mm-hmm. really, and they have like they they got they got results at the scrub of their neck. They haven't been convincing, nevertheless, as well. You know, uh, you know, getting late wins and also just barely beating teams. But yeah, it's it's kind of a sim- I think Lazio are in a really similar situation where they they have to rely on a, an Atleti side, which. Honestly, Joe, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna qualify. I think they will qualify in the end. It, um, as crazy as it sounds, because they uh, they haven't been as convincing either. Like, yeah, they've gotten the wins, and they haven't lost, but you think like it's not fully, fully convincing. But I, I think they should do enough to qualify. It's the race for the other two between Lazio and Feyenoord. Yeah, and and Lazio obviously get the the benefit of having uh, having to host Celtic coming up in the next round. And Celtic have not been very good. They've only scored three goals so far in this competition. So. Um, you would think that they should get by Celtic at this point, um, and then you know have that last match coming up against Atleti, um, where Atleti may not need anything, or Atleti have beaten Feyenoord, and then obviously Lazio and uh, Atleti would go through. So we'll have to see. This is another situation where things can get turned around on a dime real quick. Um, let's check in on the group of death real quick, um, you know, because it's it's living up to its title, right? Uh, Dortmund on seven points, PSG on six, AC Milan on five points, and Newcastle. On uh, on four points, um, Newcastle lost their last two. Like we'd mentioned earlier, th- lots of injuries. Um, you know, for that side coming in, um, we've got uh, we've got the the greatest goaltender in the history of AC Milan in uh, Olivier Giroud. Um, even though he did that in league, but still, um, you know, they've seemed to turn it around a little bit after two opening nil nil draws. Um, but Dortmund have been very very impressive, winning their last two matches. This is still for me way too close to call. I don't know which two sides are going to advance here. Um, you know, coming up uh, in a couple weeks, match day, we've got AC Milan Dortmund, and we're going to have PSG Newcastle. Um, you know, Milan's going to host Dortmund, and PSG is going to host Newcastle. But this, I mean, this is anybody's um, group at this point, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think the, these last, the next two games actually, I think will paint a bigger picture because I think obviously PSG hosting Newcastle and Milan hosting Dortmund, you know, I think, you know, given the fact that um, both of the sides have kind of turned it around in a way, whereas Milan, they finally were able to get their win. Um, You know, the fact that Newcastle have been falling off, PSG have been able to, you know, snatch something as well. And Dortmund as well have gotten on good form. So Mm. it it is too close to call, but I, I don't know, Joe, like, I mean, I'm going to have to do, like, general math on this one because as well, like, because I think it favors the home sides as well, in a way. You know, playing at the San Siro for Milan and PSG playing at home at the Parc des Princes, I think it it favors them in that aspect. So, assuming that those three go, those two win, so then you have PSG with nine and then Milan with eight. 
um again it's that's still not decisive but that 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 could be enough for them to go through especially if they win so i think i think i'm gonna say it's gonna be psg milan Okay. I think I think I think they both win their their games at home. I have this weird feeling as well. And in the last one, I don't think it even is necessary. I don't know what you think. I don't know if you want to like go for it right now and say. I, I feel I feel, I feel even less comfortable about making a prediction on this group now than I did at the beginning. No, well, someone like, has to at this point. I might as yeah, well do it. So I mean, I, if, I, you want, if, you, if you're I, willing, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like I feel like PSG definitely going to get through. I, I feel like Newcastle are just are not going to be able to overcome the, the yeah, injuries. Any injuries. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be so difficult for them to to really go back. So now it leaves Milan, and that's what I'm saying. That's why the Milan Dortmund one is, I think. Whoever wins that game is mm. going to qualify to the um, to the next round. Kiss of death, one one draw coming in, and then we're going to have to we're going to, have to talk about it again in a couple of weeks, I think. Well, but, then Milan plays Newcastle, and then Dortmund have to host PSG. So yeah, so, well, well, yeah. anything goes. Um, last, uh, lastly, I just want to touch real quick on Group H because we've got Barca and Porto at nine points each. Uh, right behind them, Shakhtar Donetsk at six points. Uh, Antwerp obviously not nowhere to be found. This is something that I think when we go to match day six is going to be incredibly tight because Barca, I believe, hosts Porto on the 27th um, and Shakhtar uh, will host Antwerp on the 27th as well. The I think Antwerp is just they've not provided anything that would make you that would inspire you. Right. They've only scored three goals. You know, they're just not performing very, very well. And, and they're going to be four, uh, six and done. Um Shakhtar are going to take advantage. I think they're going to get the full three points. I think they're going to go on nine points. That Barca match is going to be very, very interesting because I think that Barca-Porto match, to give somebody, one of those two teams, a, a, a real stronghold on the group uh, is going to be imperative. So I think trading points, um, I think you know a draw there is would certainly benefit both sides because then it just allows them to move through with a draw in match day six. But uh, but that this is a tricky side for both Barca and Porto. What do you think about uh, this one? No, I disagree. I think Barca are actually fine in this one. I think okay. Porto are the one that are feeling tricky because they have to obviously play Barca at home. And sorry, they have to beat. They have to play Barca in Barcelona, and then they have to host Shakhtar Donetsk, and they're obviously they're head to head. So if anything, Porto is the one feeling pressure. So because I think. As crazy as Barcelona got that loss against Shakhtar Donetsk, which is a fantastic result for them, um, really happy that they're able to do it, especially in the circumstances that they've been going through. I don't think that'll happen again against Porto, who, crazy enough, are a better side. Uh, I think they will have enough to beat them, which leaves the last game between Porto and Shakhtar really the one to decide who's going to go to the knockout stage. And again, that's... That one I'm not gonna call. That one I'm gonna keep quiet on. That one I think Barca will go through, um, but I think the Porto Shakhtar Donetsk one will have to be determined on the last day. But for me, I think Barca are safe. It's just the other two that are still need to to fight it out. And I agree, the drama is going to be incoming in that uh, in that final group for sure. Let's table our discussion of the Champions League and come across the pond and discuss MLS and NWSL real quick. Uh, we were earlier joined by Jason Longshore from 92.9 The Game and Soccer Down Here uh, as he gets ready for uh, match day or game three uh, between Columbus and Atlanta United. Uh, gave us our, his insights on MLS Cup, uh, NWSL, Megan Rapino, and, and all the other breaking news. So without further ado, the Jason Longshore interview. 
And joining us now on Low Limit Football from 92 The Game, Jason Longshore. Jason, welcome back to the show. It is great to have you on um, from a chilly Columbus, Ohio, as you get ready for the uh, final game three between Columbus and Atlanta United. Um, before we get into the MLS discussion, I want to start off with uh, your thoughts last night on the NWSL final between Gotham and uh, O.L. Reign. Um, your thoughts on uh, the Sad, you know, the unfortunate injury to Megan Rapino to end her career, um, and Ali Krieger ending her career with a uh, with a trophy. What were you, and the match itself? What were your thoughts on the whole thing? Yeah, it was the spectacle that I think the league really deserved in this. And so many times in a final, you see it be a really cagey, kind of boring game at times. And this one was not. This one had a little bit of everything for your neutrals, for your fans of both teams. It had sadness with Rapino's career ending the way that it did. Um, just the the match itself. I mean, Mitch Purse, the MVP, was incredible in the game. Rose Lavelle gets the goal to answer back. Felt like Lavelle was going to find another one in the second half. And then you have the chaos at the end that you know we're sitting at the hotel bar here in Columbus watching this, trying to figure out what is happening with a goalkeeper getting sent off with VAR, with a handball just outside the 18, and then who's going to go in goal, and then how Rain is going to play the free kick, because it, it looked like every player for Gotham was in the wall, and I'm like, just pass it to the side, like, do a, do something different here, because you've got an opportunity. Um, just a, a wild game, a wild finish, and it really feels like this could be one of those games that we look back at, I don't know, 10 years down the line, and say that's where it felt like things changed for NWSL. You know, this is a game, I think we take it for granted, it's easy to, this was on CBS, this had lots of coverage, this had, uh, I think, two different sideline reporters, and a goalkeeper analyst, and a referee analyst, I mean, you talk about the production value of the game on big CBS, and the game lived up to it, and it had all the storylines, so I really feel like, we can right now, we're going to talk about the game. We're going to talk about Rapino. We're going to talk about Krieger. But in 10 years, this might be the one that it felt like the NWSL grew up into another level with this season and specifically with this final. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, this is such a, a big deal for, for a lot of people that hopefully it grows into even a, a better spectacle, you would say, for, for NWSL and for women's soccer as well in this country. I think it's a it's a huge thing. So Let's uh, hope it is not just the, the last thing that we see from from this. Uh, Jason, I wanted to jump in, obviously, because, you know, like you'd mentioned, you're in Columbus for this big game between Columbus Crew and Atlanta United, obviously going to kind of this interesting format, which I wanted to go into you real quick before we go into the match itself, because obviously, with the exception of, I think, well, this will be the third one, but we did see three games out of these eight games so far to go to a match three in this kind of new format where, you know, it doesn't go to aggregate. It's based on how you win a game or lose a game at this point. Um, I just want your immediate thoughts on this because, again, it is something that is definitely a bit um, alien, you would say, to the cash, to at least the, the, the regular soccer fan that's so used to, you know, these kind of two-legged ties and, and all these kind of, like, series. But I just want your thoughts on if this is something that is indeed sustainable and, and hopefully that it will bring even more fans of that maybe are into MLS to, you know, obviously follow this league. I feel like I'm in a, a really weird section of, 
of these kinds of discussions because, I mean, I, I follow the game all over the world and uh, watch everything as much as I can. And I love the South American leagues and, and some of the Central American leagues as well that it feels like they change their format of a league of a season every year. And I think it's easy for us in the game to anytime that something is a little different to overreact. It's if I get to make the call, I would have two legged playoffs all the way through. The final would be two legs. I, I, I like the two legs. I like home games. I, I like the idea of everybody getting a game at home. And that was part of the mentality here. And I understand it. But. With all that being said, I've went through best of threes before. Uh, the old A-League had best of three. The Ruckus, uh, my team in Atlanta, had a two best of three series in 1995. The first team that I got to not just follow watching on TV from uh, across the pond or something, but actually going to games and living it, it can work. And I think it has in this tournament. And I think in this playoff, it has worked. And I hope that people who were were so negative and all of the the cliches that you can throw about you know mls and wanting to say things about it and taking shots i think this format has worked will it work every time no because no playoff format is perfect you can have a single game knockout and you're going to have teams get eliminated in what feels like it wouldn't be fair you know an early red card or a bad bounce or whatever um, and you get eliminated and your season's over. I don't like your your 34 game season to come down to 90 minutes. I don't I don't really enjoy that. Um, two legged series. How many times in these? And you guys have watched plenty of them. How many times in the first game is it boring? Because you don't want to lose the series in game one. So you come out, you're very defensive. You give up a goal. You just close up shop, and you want to keep it at a one nil loss. Go home. Try to overturn it. We didn't see that in any of the game ones. The game ones, for the most part, in Atlanta and Columbus was maybe one of the the ones that didn't have as much drama to it in game one. Game two made up for it. But game one, teams were, okay, you fall down 1-0, fall down 2-0, fall down 3-0. We're still going for it. We're, <laughs> we're still going to play. And it went the full 90 with drama and excitement. So I think... The other element to keep in mind, and and we have to, in, in the soccer community here in this country, I think we have to constantly remind ourselves of this. It's really easy for us to think that we know how it should be for everybody. We're a small percentage of the American potential audience for these games. And a best of three for your general sports fan, they understand that. They get it. They, they, that's, that's normal to them. That's natural. So when you're trying to get out of the, I don't know where the percentages fall. It's going to be different every market, 10%, 15%, 20% that are hardcore soccer fans that are going to know aggregate scoring, that are going to know how that goes, that are going to know how it should feel. That's less than the rest. And when you talk about your baseball fans and your football fans and your NBA fans, and you don't want to cater to them completely, but you also want them to tune in and you want them to buy tickets and you want them to understand and get wrapped up in the emotion of your postseason. We can find a middle ground. And I think if there's anything that maybe I hope comes out of this, it's that we understand that doing something different 
creating a different format, changing the format, doing something that maybe is outside the box, that can actually be okay. It really can, no matter what some pundits say or no matter what some tabloid in England says. You know, like we can do something different and it might be what's best for us. And I think this format has worked really well. Houston and RSL drama last night. That was fun in that game three. Um, I think it's worked well. It won't be perfect, but I've been happy with it so far. And Atlanta's situation to come back to this one tonight, I think it gives the underdogs more hope, honestly, because you get two shots at the higher seed on the road. And it's hard to beat a team two times in a row in your building. I mean, this is going to be the the fourth time in five games that Atlanta's played Columbus. These teams know each other inside and out at this point. It should be an epic match tonight. It should be one of the all-time playoff classics because of that familiarity. And Atlanta's got nothing to lose on the road here. You you go in here and you pull the upset, you advance. If you don't, well, Columbus is the favorite. They're a really good team for a reason. You get the opportunity to throw an upset tonight, and you learned from game one. So I love it for the lower seeds especially. Well, it's a, it's a good segue here, obviously, to this game that you're on over there in Columbus. Obviously, the first game, Columbus ended winning up 2-0. The first second game, Atlanta United won 4-2. How do you see this game three, decisive game three happening over there tonight? These teams are so even, and they're they're not mirror images of one another in the way that it plays out on the field, but I think in terms of the identity and philosophy of Gonzalo Pineda and of Wilfred Nancy, they're very, very similar. They, they both want the ball. They will both counter-press to get the ball back. They will both make tweaks, sometimes subtle, sometimes bigger, in terms of their setup game-to-game. Uh, they are very creative managers, in my opinion. And I think Wilfred Nancy is starting to get that kind of respect league-wide, and Gonzalo Pineda deserves that kind of respect league-wide. I think what he did last year, keeping Atlanta in the playoff race until the very end with losing your starting goalkeeper and captain, your starting center back, your your forward Joseph Martinez was out for a long period of time and never was the same after that. Um you lost the spine of your team consistently last season. And you, and Gonzalo Pineda found a way to keep them competitive this year, where you've had a, a season where it started really well, had some injuries, had some loss of form, what have you. And you go into the summer transfer window, and the team had to subtract to add. And the timing doesn't always work out when you do that. And in this case for Atlanta, it didn't. They had to make moves at the beginning of the window to make moves by the end to have the space to add players. And then you look at the players that they added. Sean De Silva, Tristan Muyamba, um, Saba Lobjanidze, bringing Edwin Mosquera back from loan from Defensa and Justicia. It's a really good Atlanta United team now. And Gonzalo has been able to make everything fit, both in the locker room with the guys just meshing and then on the field. And it's been a lot of fun to watch. I really like where Atlanta is coming into this. Like I said, I feel like they have nothing to lose. They're the lower seed. The expectation and the pressure is on Columbus. And I think Atlanta's got things they can do that can hurt Columbus. And we saw that in game two. Columbus can do things that hurts Atlanta. We saw that in game one. So this should be an epic game. And the chess match between the two managers is one of the things I'm looking forward to the most. 
Well, I also think, you know, with Atlanta, with, with the game 2-4-2 two, two win, you know, putting four goals on Columbus is going to definitely boost their spirits. Mm-hmm. And they know that they can open up and, and, and attack and score goals. And I think that first goal in this match is really going to be like, you know, it's, it's going to be the moment, right? Where one team will really take a stranglehold of, of this tie in this match. Um, I think that first goal is most important, don't you think? Yeah, and I think that's been typical in the league this year, but I'll even go a step further. I think you look back at game one, and if Atlanta gets to halftime scoreless, I think it plays out differently. Maybe Atlanta doesn't find the win, but I think it's tight the rest of the second half. That goal they conceded right at the end of the half, backbreaker. Go back to game two. Atlanta found their second goal after Columbus had tied it to 1-1. Atlanta found their second goal right at the end of the first half and first half stoppage time. And I felt like that was the the backbreaker in this. Columbus had some chances in the second half before Atlanta found goal number three. But yeah, it's it, the first goal is important. But the one thing to keep in the back of your mind when it comes to Atlanta United this season and Columbus as well, they're very different in terms of where they're at their strongest. Columbus has been a a first half team, especially on the defensive side. They've only conceded 12 goals in the first half in the regular season and 32 in the second half. Atlanta United has been a great scoring team in the second half and especially late in games. And we've seen it all year long, 21 goals after the 75th minute in the regular season. That's a crazy number. So I'm with you. I think the first goal maybe sets the path but I don't know if it decides the game in this one, especially if Atlanta is chasing it late with the offensive weapons they can bring off the bench and just that belief in scoring late goals. And the winner of that match is going to be gifted with Orlando City, who has been absolutely excellent defensively uh, throughout you know throughout the playoffs and throughout the season. So um, the, the Eastern Conference went true to form, except for this match. Uh, they were all... Two matches. They were all decided by the higher seeds. Everything kind of standard operating there. Western Conference was a little bit more dysfunctional, right? Um, and for me, I, I want to start out with Sporting Kansas City. Uh, this was a team that was dead last. Uh, I, I think they lost their first 12 matches of the season. or It was some crazy number. Uh, yeah, I think it was 10. They didn't win in 10. I think they had a couple of draws mixed in. Yeah. You know, they turn the season around. They get uh, San Jose, beat San Jose on penalties, and then just absolutely run ragged all over St. Louis, who um, many were kind of the darlings of this MLS Cup, right? You know, first year in, they're, they're the number one seed in the West. You know, all the all the hopes and dreams of, a, of an expansion team. And here comes, you know, Peter Vermes, the veteran, um, and just crushes their hopes. What are your thoughts on, on Sporting KC and the job they've done to get to where they are now, where they're going to face a really, really resilient Houston side in the next round? They finally got healthy, and I think that's been the biggest thing for Kansas City since going back to early last year with Polito missing most of last season, with Gaddy Kenda, uh, quite a few others. They they had injuries about like Atlanta did in 2022, and I think you saw that it was difficult for both teams to, to be competitive. Kansas City's continued into 23. I think you go back and look at the lineups early on in the season. Peter Vermes didn't have all of his options that he needed to field a, a coherent and strong team. I, I think you have to look at the difference between St. Louis and, and Kansas City in terms of experience. And you can start with the managers. Peter Vermees says, 
won trophies and been around the block many, many times. And he knows how to handle these kinds of things. And, and Bradley Carnell hasn't, not with this group. You know, St. Louis doesn't have that institutional knowledge of how to deal with pressure and, and, and these moments. Whereas Kansas City, all of those players have been there and done that. So that has a big role in this. And I think it's something that I look for as the playoffs continue. And, and we might see it in the East with some teams that are like Cincinnati, for example. How do they handle the pressure now of being the favorite? And I think we saw in game two, Matt Miazga did not handle the pressure of being that team very well. And, and he's gonna, that's going to end up being a huge issue for Cincinnati going forward. Whereas a team like Philadelphia, they made the final last year and they've, they've been there and done that. LAFC out West, they have been there and done that. Orlando, that's going to be an interesting one. They won it. They won the open cup last year. That helps them a lot, but seeing them up close quite a bit over the years, they've struggled in big game moments at times. Are they over that hump now after getting the open cup? They should be, and we'll we'll find out in the next round for sure. I don't think Nashville really gave them much of a, a challenge. Kansas City is a team and a roster that is better than where they finished. And you look at the way champions are determined in in our sports in the U.S., and I think in, in other countries, a lot of times, it's who is the most consistent over the full season – in this country and, and in Mexico and, and others that have this, these kinds of formats as well, it's who finishes the best, who grows as the year goes on, who is the best by the end of the year. And Kansas City can be that. Kansas City, after starting slow, is finishing great. I wouldn't want to play Kansas City right now. And Houston's got to do it. And that could be a great matchup in the next round. Well, I also, yeah, because Houston, I mean, like I said, I called them resilient. I mean, going to two penalty rounds against yeah. RSL, you know, they really, they legged it out. They got there. This is a team that won the um, the Open Cup with, um, you know, beating Messi's Inter-Miami. So this is this is a team really on the front foot right now. Um, and, and you have to wonder, that's going to be a great matchup. I think the, the other matchup, the one we really haven't touched on at all, is, is I think, you know, it would be primetime. It's Seattle and LAFC, the defending champions. Um, Roberto, if you remember, I, I picked Seattle to go really, really deep in this playoff. I just, there's something about them that, uh, that I feel like they're starting to click on all cylinders coming into the playoffs. Um, can LAFC repeat uh, from this spot? Especially the, the West is going to be tough. We already know that. Yeah, the West is is fascinating because in the year, the East was better. And I thought the East was better by a pretty wide margin this year, more than we're accustomed to. And the overall point totals show you that. I mean, Atlanta was sixth in the East, but seventh overall. I think the, the West has been more volatile than maybe we're accustomed to with teams like LA and Seattle, especially that they can win MLS Cup, no doubt. But they've had their ups and downs this year, and they've had some extended downs. I think both of them. Uh, Seattle, it's interesting with Lodero and Ruby Diaz coming off the bench right now, especially Lodero. And, you know, he's, he's going to leave the club, according to what he said before the postseason started. Do you have a little bit of that, you know, last dance kind of vibe with Seattle, or are they going to try to win it for Nico and that kind of idea? That can be a motivator at this point in the year. LAFC is is good. Are they as good as they were last year? I don't think so. Are they good enough to win the West? Yes, I, I do think so. But they're streaky. And, and now you're into the single games. And 
if you have a little bit of an off day, you're going home. And, and I just don't know who I believe in out West right now. I don't discount Houston at all. I really don't. Um, after seeing what they did in the Open Cup, seeing how they've handled the pressure, um, they've they've got a trophy this year already, so they have that belief. And Ben Olsen's done an amazing job in Houston. And, and I think that is going to be one of the indelible marks this season is the the rebirth of the Houston Dynamo. And you got to give Ben Olsen a ton of credit for that. You see a vibe, an atmosphere in that building again. And it's been a decade, I think, since we've seen that, maybe more. Um, the Owen Coyle years in Houston were, oh boy, very, very bad. And I think they had an effect on on the fan base. And it took a minute for them to, to buy in. But these playoff games in Houston have been amazing. Ben Olsen was my vote for manager of the year. That was that was my pick. I think he deserved more credit. And, you know, whoever comes out of the other side, LAFC or Seattle, I think Houston's going to get it done against Kansas City. And I would not want to play Houston and Ben Olsen, even at home, because either LAFC or Seattle would host that. I would not want to play them with my season on the line. Especially with a one-off, right? Just just a single match. It's Because now after this level, we go back to uh, single matches and single elimination. Yep. So, Jason, thank you for coming on the show and joining us, especially on a busy uh, day with match day coming up. Um, have a great uh, broadcast tonight. All the best, and we look forward to having you back soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And if anybody out there wants to listen to our Atlanta radio call tonight, we're, we're usually on 92.9 The Game, but tonight, because of a conflict with the Falcons, we're on Star 94, but you can always listen on the Odyssey app and you can download the app and just go to Star 94 and you can listen to us. Our pregame starts at 630 and uh, it's going to be cold. We'll try to stay warm, but it should be a, a really fun match. And definitely check out Columbus's radio call as well. Chris Durand does a great job in Columbus. If you want to get the kind of hometown vibes of both of us calling it, and that's how I've really enjoyed kind of consuming this playoff and the MLS season as a whole. Check out both of the, the radio partners for this. Should be a lot of fun. Great stuff again. Thanks again. And special thanks again to Jason for joining us on the show, Roberto. Uh, we are heading into another international break, uh, this time with World Cup and European qualifying on the on the list. So uh, without further ado, on Thursday the 16th, we will uh, go head over to Europe where we have Slovakia and Iceland playing a, uh, a Euro qualifier at 2.45 p.m. Then it's a qualifying night in South America, Argentina-Uruguay, 7 p.m., Colombia-Brazil, 7 p.m., and Chile-Paraguay at 7.30 p.m. are the highlights in that one. On Friday, back to the Euros, Moldova, Albania at noon, Italy, North Macedonia at 2.45 p.m. and Poland, Czech Republic at 2.45 p.m. as well. Saturday sees Israel, Romania at 2.45 p.m. and the Netherlands and Ireland at 2.45 p.m. as well. And on Sunday, we will have Serbia, Bulgaria at 9 a.m. and Bosnia, Slovakia at 2.45 p.m. Your list of matches for this week. Roberto, earlier in the show, I gave you a trivia question. I will now repeat it um, at 40 years old. Pepe became the oldest goal scorer in Champions League history in a 2-0 Porto win over Antwerp on Tuesday. Um, by the way, knocking Cristiano Ronaldo out of the top 10 oldest goal scorers in the Champions League when he did that. But the question was, whose record did he beat? How old was that player? And when and against who did he score? I have no idea who it was against, but I'm going to okay. give you this guess. I was thinking this name because I feel like he's he's been on those lists beforehand. Is it 
Francesco Totti. It is Francesco Totti. Um, and it has to be Roma. Uh, um, well, no, who did, who did he score against? No, I'm saying, but he played oh, for Roma. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah he he's scored against ah, this one. No, this one. I'll give you the age. I'll say 38. 38 years old, 38 and 59 days to be exact. Um, But the hard part, and that's, I I was going to say, I think that was pretty well um, documented as to uh, who it was and how old he was. But uh, just to give you the rest of that answer, he did it in 2014. Okay. And he did it against CSKA Moscow. Gotcha. There you okay. go. So the yeah. the trivia answer, Francesco Totti, 38 years, 59 days against CSKA Moscow in 2014. Your trivia answer. So Excellent. without further ado, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. And for episode 406 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Jason Longshore for joining us on the show. Next week, we will look into the South American qualifiers, the European qualifiers for Euro 2024, and a host of other information as well. So for episode 406 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>